This is Duke University. What really got me interested uh, in Jewish genetic history um, in, in, in the beginning was just the whole question of how a people come to see themselves as a people. What are the ingredients of that? Is that primarily a social construction? Is it primarily a matter of genetic identity and continuity of that genetic identity? And those questions can be addressed, of course, partially historically, but part of those questions have to do with what the genetic relationships are amongst people. And so that got me really interested in looking into the genetics of Jewish populations, because that's, of course, a group that has a very long history of, um, of identification as a cohesive group. And when I early on got started in that work, uh, it became immediately apparent that it's something that interested not just me, but lots of other people, too. And as the work was published in technical journals, regularly people would ask me, well, what does this really mean? And I found that it wasn't that easy to explain what it really means. And over time, I finally realized that I should just sit down and try to tell the story in an accessible way. And, and that's how the book um, got started. The Jewish priesthood, um, that's really one of those things where you hear about it and you almost automatically dismiss it. Um, it's kind of such a romantic, quaint story that you've got a group that identifies themselves as priests and that there's continuity in that identification from father to son that goes back thousands of years. It almost can't be true. Um, and so when we got into it uh, initially, uh, we really didn't think that there could be much of a chance that it would pan out in, in a, you know, a way that matches the, the, the history. So we were really stunned to find that there was actually a lot of, uh, a lot of support for the basis of the story. So a genetic marker. A genetic marker for a long-term continuous paternal line. Now the question is, what exactly is the identification today of membership in that group? And what's particularly interesting about it is that it is in fact not just a surname. The uh, way that, that we defined it in the study and the way that it's traditionally thought of is simply whether an individual considers themselves to be a priest or not, with the idea that their father told them that they were because their father told them, and so on, regardless of what the surname is. Now, Many priests have a surname, Cohen, so that's actually the uh, word for uh, priest in Hebrew, uh, but not all of them, and not all of the individuals with the surname Cohen are actually Kohanim, or actually priests by self-identification. And other surnames are often associated with the priesthood, like Rappaport and some, and some, um, and some others, but the way that we approach it is just by self-identification, and it turns out that that self-identification uh, most certainly is informative about the Y chromosome genetic makeup of the individuals. And that, of course, is the genetic marker of the um, paternal line. I got pulled into this work by a, an extremely, as I, as I talk about in the book, an extremely enthusiastic businessman who was prepared to, um, to jump on a plane himself and go all over the place persuading people to contribute their samples uh, that they had collected or persuading individuals that they um, 
wanted to give a sample, and he also enlisted his family and sent them to various places and all the students that he could find. So it really just takes a lot of sweat work to collect these samples. You actually have to go places, talk to people, apply for permissions from various governments. Uh, in some cases, uh, Neil, my colleague, was out in Land Rovers with government guards um, collecting in, in Yemen and, and so on. So it's, it's just a tremendous amount of effort to do the collections. So you've got samples all over, from all over the world. From samples from absolutely all over the world. Because the way that we approach the work is to try to really carefully compare the genetic variation in Jewish populations to the populations that they lived amongst. So you could really make a proper assessment. And so what that meant is lots and lots of collections of Jewish populations from all over and non-Jewish populations from those places. And I think in the end, we had 18 or 20 different population samples that we had 40 or 50 individuals from each. I mean, it was a huge effort of collection. Lost tribe, go back to the northern part of the Israelite kingdom. So initially, the, the, the kingdom was, was a single kingdom um, under, under King David and King David's son Solomon. But shortly after that, the kingdom was split into a northern part and a, and a southern part. And the northern part was conquered by the Assyrians. And these guys were nasty, truly nasty. And when they conquered a place, they practiced what's probably the first recorded instance of ethnic cleansing. And so what they did to make sure that there wouldn't be subsequent rebellions, they took the leadership of any places that they conquered and distributed them elsewhere so they couldn't uh, reestablish themselves. And they did that uh, with the northern uh, part of, of the Israelite kingdom, which was called Israel. Um, they did that with the northern kingdom. And all the uh, uh, tribes that had been allotted that portion of, of, of the ancient Israelite territory disappeared. And, and that is what we now think of as the lost tribes, those individuals that then disappeared, because the story in the Bible is told from the perspective of the southern kingdom from the perspective of the southern kingdom called Judah, these individuals were gone. Now, what happened to them, nobody knows. Some people actually think that Kurdish Jews and other Jews from that region may, in fact, trace back to, to that very early um, dispersal. But nobody really knows. But that's the origin of the idea of the lost tribes. And it had such an impact on people over time that you've got groups literally everywhere in the world at different points in time. Um, from Japan to, uh, to, uh, to Holland um, to Afghanistan, in fact, that have been identified with the, uh, with, with the lost tribes. And so as such, uh, we, we took the view that it wouldn't be sensible to just indiscriminately go out and start genotyping anybody that has some kind of a claim to a Jewish connection. But there was one group in particular that really was quite uh, uh, intriguing, and that's the, the Lemba from, from Southern Africa. And while they uh, did not consider themselves uh, a lost tribe uh, uh, in an era sense, they did consider themselves to have an origin in the ancient um, Israelite uh, kingdom. Uh, and they have a story of dispersal from, from that part of the world something like 3,000 years ago and other aspects to the story. And that part of it is not so distinctive by itself because there are other groups that have stories like that. But there had been a study done, perhaps 10 or 15 years back now, a bit longer maybe, by a South African geneticist that showed that some of the Y chromosomes in this group, the Lemba, were Semitic. 
as opposed to band 2. And that distinction is quite easy to make with genetic markers on the Y chromosome. And that was surprising because the Lemba look like their band 2 neighbors, and yet they have a lot of Y chromosomes that are Semitic. So that's intriguing, but that doesn't make it a Jewish connection. So with that starting point, we thought, well, might there be some way to see whether the Semitic Y chromosomes that these Lemba carry, whether they might have, in fact, a specifically Jewish origin. So that's what got us started. When you think about Jewish chromosomes as opposed to Semitic chromosomes, that's a hard distinction to make because we know that that's where Jewish Y chromosomes come from, that part of the world. And so a lot of Y chromosomes, it'd be hard to tell whether they got into the Lemba from specifically a Jewish source or, for example, from you know, Arab traders or something like, like, like that. However, the studies that we had done with the priesthood had identified this one Y chromosomal type, which we called the Cohen modal haplotype, the most common type in the Cohenim. That type is not very common in non-Jewish populations. In fact, it's pretty rare. So if we happen to bump into that type in the Lemba, we could say, hey, it's pretty likely it's a Jewish origin because it's not too common elsewhere. So that's about all we had to go on. And off we went. And sure enough, uh, when we looked in the uh, Lemba, 10% of them, or a little bit more, had this type, which is primarily found in Jewish populations. And that was a stunner, I have to say. Every so often you do this work and you see something, you say, that's amazing. And, um, and that was a stunner. And not only did we see this particular Y chromosomal type uh, that seems characteristic of Jewish populations in the Lemba, but it was uh, clustered in a particular clan within the Lemba called the Buba, and that clan is accorded a leadership role uh, within, within the Lemba. So it really does sort of seem to fit together with the story that there is a, some kind of a ancient uh, Jewish origin here, and maybe the Buba who are accorded a leadership role trace more to, to, to that origin. And, and I think that finding that chromosome there doesn't prove that historical case. But if you looked at it and said, well, what do you think is really happening? Your guess is that's what's happening. That results in something that makes you say, wow, that's, that's pretty neat. And, and when that does happen, you feel pretty lucky. And I, I do feel a lot of it is, in fact, luck. You start a study, and if it happens to to have something in it that's striking, then you find it. And um, so I think science is maybe seven or eight parts luck and one or two parts not making mistakes, because what you have to do is just not get things wrong. But otherwise, it has to be there. And in the case of the Lemba, we got very lucky. There is something really pretty amazing sitting there in the genetic makeup of the Lemba. And we got to see it. And that, and that was really, really exciting. Produced by Duke University, online at duke.edu.